Welcome to the Biz Times MKE podcast. I'm Arthur Thomas, an associate editor at Biz Times Media. I'm joined on this week's episode by Ryan Festerling, the president of QPS Employment Group. Uh, Ryan's here to talk with us about the labor market. And you may remember if you attended our economic trends event back in January, he shared a number of insights during that event in the labor market. So we wanted to have him back to kind of check in on things as a lot has changed in the last uh, the last few months as things have opened up again. So Ryan, uh, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So let's let's start here for folks who maybe aren't familiar with QPS. A little bit about you guys. What you know? What do you work on? What do you do? What kind of um, customers do you serve? That kind of thing. Yeah. So the you know the basics of who we are, what we do is uh, you know we are a staffing solutions provider. So uh, Midwest primarily about fifty five offices between Wisconsin and Illinois and Kansas, Missouri, uh, you know St. Louis, that kind of stuff. But you know, we spend probably 90% of our efforts uh, in the, you know, the, the light industrial general labor space. So think kind of 14 to $20 an hour. Um, but we also have, you know, some relatively good sized divisions that do customer service. Um, and we're actually just making some pretty good sized investments on the professional side. So on IT, accounting, finance, uh, but we do a lot in the, in the operations world and things that are connected to that. Gotcha. So that that's, you know, part of why I was really wanting to talk to you is because of, like you said, 90% of your efforts focused in on that kind of 14 to $20 an hour range. Um, and when we talk about the labor market these days, you know, so much of it ends up being just, you know, around kind of that, that part of the, the, the market. And we hear about the $300 enhanced employment benefit. And we hear about people having difficulty finding workers and things like that. Um, and I mean, the, it's certainly a much, you know, if you back up a year or so, I mean, the unemployment rate jumped to 14 plus percent, like overnight. Um, so we're certainly a long way from that now. I mean, unemployment's in the States back down to like 3.9%. Our labor force is a little bit, you know, maybe bigger than it is. Unemployment's, you know, maybe a little higher than it was pre-pandemic. Um, but that's, you know, a really high level number. Um, and it's hard to kind of see some of the nuance that's happening down, you know, um, kind of in the, in the portion of the market you're serving. So what are you, what are you seeing now? What are you experiencing? What are your, your teams experiencing out in the market? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting as you, as you talk about the things that have happened in the market, there's a lot of things that happened at a very fast pace, right? The pandemic happened really fast. And, you know, I think we all remember the day that the world shut down, right? But that all happened really, really fast. Um, unemployment happened really fast. Um, I would also argue the recovery happened really fast, but obviously it wasn't at the same clip, right? Um, but some of the other things that happened really fast was this, like this unemployment, uh, extra insurance and big stimulus packages. They were, they were kind of blunt objects to try to fix uh, an issue that was fairly surgical, right? Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is we got here kind of overnight. We came out of it pretty quickly but the nuances that are happening in the labor market, in my opinion, just have some just really unprecedented things that we're still trying to all figure out. And, you know, if, if I wish that I could predict what's going to happen, but, you know, we do a fair amount of business in some of the markets where the unemployment insurance has been, um, the extra has kind of been taken away, so to speak. And I would love to tell you that it was this like big light switch that all of a sudden candidates came out of the woodwork. It's just not the case. 
you know, are we seeing a little bit more improvement in places like Iowa and in, uh, you know, Missouri or Kansas where some of that was? Yes. But I actually was thinking it was going to be at a greater velocity. And so the reason I bring that up is the unemployment insurance. Sure. It absolutely is keeping some folks on the sidelines. I think that's not a debate necessarily. Um, but it's not like there's going to be this light switch coming out of it where candidates are going to be coming out of the woodwork. And so I just think there's a lot of noise in the system, especially when you start applying the fact that there's a lot of folks on the salary level that are starting to resign and, and go after some big jobs as well. So I guess the, the long and short is there's just a lot of noise in the system and mm-hmm. some things that I don't think we've seen both at the velocity, the speed um, and, and the multiples of those coming together at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's just a spate of stories about how, you know, the number of people leaving their jobs, the quits are an all-time high or a, a recent high at least. And, you know, that's just adding to the kind of churn and and things that are happening. Uh, I know you guys have a lot of, I mean, you work with, like you said, 7,000 kind of associates on a regular basis. So that creates a lot of data for you to look at. What are you seeing in terms of, of pay rates and turnover, attraction costs, those kind of things, the actual kind of the pieces of, of the levers that you can pull on to, to try and attract people to, to help serve your customers? Yeah, it's, you know, I would say it's frustrating for a lot of folks because, right, the biggest, some, most times the biggest cost to an organization is the, the labor, right? And, you know, we are definitely seeing 10% and 15% increases just to, to base wages. And companies are working really hard to try to stay competitive but I got to be honest, they get to this number and they're so excited. They're going to take the number from 14 to 16 or 16 to 18. You know, we're seeing two and $3 increases, not 50 cents. That's like, there's nothing, that's not going to move the needle. But one of the biggest frustrations is they think that's going to fix everything. And it's just not, um, it's, it's moving so fast on the pay rate standpoint. And so Yes, we definitely see that pay rates help, but um, I don't. I don't think even some of our best-paying employers are sitting in the catbird seat, going, "We're good." They have openings as well. People are still leaving as well. Um, you know, one of the things that we are also seeing from the the levers, so to speak, is that if you can deploy pay rate with something else that you are creating from a culture and engagement standpoint, you know, I, I believe that. Your, your paycheck, so to speak, um, is really just cost of entry. And then it allows you to evaluate, well, how good are you at your scheduling? How good are you at, at speaking two-way with your employees? So, you know, cost on the wages standpoint is cost of entry only. And, and I really, I, I think we have to make sure that we don't look at it as the thing to fix it because it's just not. I mean, we're seeing some unprecedented sign-on bonuses and all that does is get you to the sign-on bonus dollar number. You've got to make sure you're still working with your employees on a day-in and day-out basis. The other thing that is challenging is, you know, let's just say that you're an employer that has historically paid $15 an hour, and you're one of those employees that's been there for three years, four years. There's a lot of those. And now you've got a person that's making the same amount as you, and you have kind of stuck through it. You know, I, I would really just ask our employers to think about how do you do something special? And maybe you can't afford 
to ripple that rate all the way through. Um, but I always talk about unintended consequences and, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, so to speak. So really making sure you're looking at that holistically and not just one lever at a time. Yeah. And, and speaking to that, the point of kind of the, the wage or the paycheck kind of being the entry point and, and kind of thinking about a bigger picture. Um, one of the things you talked about at, um, economic trends back in January was kind of a reminder for everyone of just all the life impacts that happened, you know, for everyone um, up and down the wage scale. And obviously, you know, the, our audience in economic trends is a, a business audience, a lot of business owners, decision makers, and so they're, you know, higher up the wage scale. And we all, they all dealt with, you know, impacts. And your point was, you know, okay, now apply those in that 15 to $20 an hour range and all the life pressure that gets applied there. And so I think, you know, that was an interesting point of last year was stressful for a lot of people. It's a lot more stressful when you're not as financially secure. Um, and so it's probably something for employers to think about, you know, that people are probably evaluating a lot of things and a lot of how they spend their time um, when it comes to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think those, that's one of the topics are that, you know, we're going to, we'll see how this plays out. You know, but I know I'm talking to you, I think it looks like in your home office and most people that I talk to today, if they're not working out of their home office, they do more than they ever have. I'll just say that. And, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday that has been a historically 100% go in the office. And they're like, yeah, now I go in, you know, maybe twice a week, just randomly. And I'm like, and this, this person also works at a company that has a 100% on-premise because they're, they're in the manufacturing space. And I said, how do you think that makes someone feel that you get the flexibility and they don't? Um, and, and, you know, they kind of looked at me and they're like, well, it's different for me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is different for you. But to not consider those impacts and what that means, um, I think is a, is a misstep. I really do. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that I come into the office most days, almost all days. Um, do I like being in the office? Sure. But, you know, we're in a business that we are, we have to be in the office to, to talk to our people and to do paperwork for those folks. So, you know, I just really think just because we can do something, I always am trying to create a, a better relationship with the workforce that we have and not one that creates the haves and have nots. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit of a stickler for that because yes, wages are always going to be different in companies and there are going to be people that get paid 15 or $18 an hour. There are going to be people that make $120,000 a year, but are we doing things to be conscious of the haves and have nots? And just cause we get to, I don't know that always means we should. And um, I think it's going to be something for us to see how that plays out. Um, so I wanted to maybe touch on uh, some strategies that employers can, can employ and, and use, um, as they, they try to solve their, their workforce problem. Cause it's, it's a nuanced question and I don't think it doesn't seem like there's going to be like one answer. Like you said, the $300 goes away in some of the other States you're working in. And it's not like it magically brought you a whole bunch more applicants. Yeah. So what's maybe one or two top, you know, suggestions you have for employers of how best to, to, you know, tackle their workforce challenges. Yeah. Uh, I, and I think it's going to be a little different per employer, but the first thing that I always ask 
people to do is to look really deep inward. Uh, you know, look within your organization and, and get really curious about things that are happening inside your workforce and study the groups that are actually doing really well. I don't even care if that's a group of three or four people, but doing a really deep inward focus first of why you, why you feel like you're good in certain places, maybe not everywhere, but study that a lot and blow that out in a really big way because figuring out why something doesn't work isn't always the inverse of why it does work. And so, you know, we've all talked about doing um, exit interviews and I think those are really good things, but doing stay interviews and actually finding out why Arthur stays what he's doing when he's got options. Every single person in that wage rate that we're talking about, every single one can go get a job tomorrow. So why do those people stay? Why are they engaged? Why do they show up on time? And so I think doing a deep inward study, first of all, is really, really important um, because you can't be someone that you're not, right? If you have a manufacturing facility and it's hot, or if you, there's things you can do to mitigate those things. But if you're a cold storage place, guess what? It's going to be cold. But study what works, study why people stay. Then I think you have to actually do a little bit of studying outward and say, are there things that aspirationally you feel like you need to get better at? But, you know, that could be studying other competitors. That could be getting outside of the workforce. But I think trying to understand who you are and what makes you good and studying people that are great and, and who you, you know, maybe you can take some parts from that are a really good thing. Then trying to work with your management team to say, what are those bridges that we can get to? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, aspirational things that just aren't realistic, right? I mean, we, we would love to say, boy, let's create a, a work environment like whoever. Well, we're never going to be able to do what they do because they work in a very different segment. But are there parts and pieces and places? You know, one of the things that I think we get very dismissive about is the hospitality industry, as an example. I know the hospitality industry is struggling, but you've been out to eat. I've been out to eat. There's workers that are, that are there somehow they've created this collegial environment where people have fun. And I, I don't think they've given everyone $6 pay rates increases. Right. But I sometimes look to just places of, that are winning and having this defeatist attitude that says, you know, the workforce is horrible and they're not showing up. I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's just, that's not helping you. Uh, we are where we are. So understanding what makes you good, even if it's in pockets of your company, and an understanding maybe where you want to get to and trying to find very simple ways to bridge that um, is probably the tactic that I would use most often. Yeah, I think you and I actually might have spoken a few weeks, a few months ago about that hospitality question and, you know, it's more around can manufacturers attract people that, you know, at that point, the hospitality industry was, was way down and it's a question of how can they attract them. And I think when your points was people have chosen to work in the hospitality industry for a reason. There's something about that collegial environment, that camaraderie, that fun um, that that attracted them that you don't necessarily get at a seven to three manufacturing shift. That's, you know, a much different environment. And so understanding that, that it's not um, just a one for one exchange there that, that transfers over that you can suddenly, you know, attract people from that. Um, yeah probably makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so I've heard you also talk about um, 
a turnover and, and measuring your turnover and not just kind of looking at it um, at an annual basis, um, how can a company be more maybe granular about their, their approach to how they, they look at turnover? Yeah, I, I think that has a lot of, again, nuances that, that we can go through. But I think the, you know, I always talk about just being really curious and, you know, there's a frustration level that we all have when, when, you know, people don't show up when they say, and those kind of things. But, you know, I, I always try to start with day one. So again, we're, we're talking about this 14 to 20, you know, $2 an hour rate, not professional, so to speak, but trying to understand what's going on within that first week is really important. That's probably the most expensive turnover. It's probably also the most frustrating and the most disruptive. And so, you know, for me, what I try to figure out is what's going on day one, what's going on day two. And so even just understanding what your turnover is in that first week, second week, third week, fourth week, fifth week, because we can't fix annual turnover until we fix daily and weekly turnover. Um, so I always try to figure out, well, first of all, what is that number? And we can get, we're going to find it out. We're probably going to get a little frustrated, but then we have to say, well, whatever it is, how are we trying to move it just one day? You know, if the turnover at first day is X or the first week is Y, put very small goals and say, how can we actually just make that one little number just a little bit better? And I think what you'll find is that there is no silver bullet. It is still challenging. But, you know, I, I was working with someone the other day and they, you know, we, we took a number uh, on, on the first day um, from uh, 13% of the people not showing up to 10%. And they're like, it's three percentage points. And I'm like, well, it's three percentage points, but it's actually almost 30%. And so if you have 100 people throughout the year and 10% extrapolate that out, it's actually a pretty good size number. Now, if you can use that same thing at day two and week one and week three. So all you're trying to do is wherever you're at, as good it is or as bad it is, try to move it you know, one click above. And a lot of this is going to be about supervisors engaging. A lot of it's going to be doing things that are a little bit unconventional. And, you know, the question I always ask is, do you have the time not to do that? Because you know that that's the most unproductive, costly turnover you can have. It's also really disruptive and creates a horrible disengagement. So, um, you know, again, I, I just work with folks to just work on incremental change, not wholesale, because wholesale change in the people space is pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, we I feel like we're often looking for silver bullets. It feels like we're looking for, we're going to, you know, totally transform our culture, but it sounds like you're talking about a much more tactile um, team by team approach um, to changing it is actually how you make progress here. You don't make progress with big sweeping changes. I mean, yeah, maybe there's a role for that, you know, evaluating your, your starting wage or things like that but it's very kind of team by team, um, line by line kind of thing to actually make progress. Yeah. And then I think it's celebrating those little wins. I mean, like I had to tell that person, I'm like, that's a big deal. You, you made change. And they were kind of sad that it wasn't bigger. And, and I said, if you can't now go back and say why you, why you made progress or how you made that progress, I don't know how you're going to sustain that the person came back to me a week later and, you know, told me actually that the change happened in two areas of the supervisor group and not in the others. So I'm like, go study 
what those supervisors did. I'm telling you, there's something there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as discouraging as it can be, always find those pockets where you're winning, reverse engineer it, and then try to scale. Gotcha. Um, obviously, there are probably some, you're talking about kind of at the very granular level, but there might be some opportunities at more company-wide levels, um, kind of approach type things. Um, an area maybe like drug screens. Um, is there, you know, or background checks, different things that kind of can maybe open the pool of applicants that you're looking at. Um, and I guess how can companies a- approach that and uh, try and be a little more, you know, just if you can cast a wider net, you got a, you know, a better chance of, sure. uh, of filling your, filling the roles you have. Yeah. So, you know, we always talk about the the hiring pipeline or the hiring funnel, so to speak. And there's lots of things that go into the funnel, right? They start up here and then it whittles down to here. And most companies think about things that um, places and times where you exclude candidates, right? Whether it's requirements, whether it is availability, um, but right, you start with a funnel and then things get knocked out because of things that you feel like you need. I'm trying to take a reverse approach and say, how do we actually screen candidates in versus screen candidates out? And so if you actually look of, you know, I need requirements where a person has to have a record, you know, a clean record for the past five years. All right. Well, that actually took a bunch of people out. What are things that I can do that are actually screening people in? And again, I am not suggesting relaxing your requirements just for the fun of it. There might be some things that are very important to your industry, so to speak. Um, But I, I just think you should start with nothing's off the table. And if you were going to start the company tomorrow and you wanted to do a test case, so to speak, what would you try? What would you do? And if you don't start there, I just feel like you're missing out on some opportunities. And again, there's nothing that's going to be perfect. So again, we've seen a lot of customers uh, test relaxing their requirements and had some really good success. We've had some that relaxed them too much that actually they kind of lost who they were and had to maybe come back a little to the middle. But I would tell you that customers that have stayed incredibly stringent have seen their funnel continue to get worse and fall behind. And so I just think things like drug screening, whether it's a 10 panel going to a nine or nine going to a five, five to a four, you know, just looking at all those things, looking at shifts and how you can be more flexible and backgrounds, again, especially for this group, um, how do you screen people in as opposed to screening them out? Um, how does maybe scheduling um, play into this? I've um, heard, I think it was actually Aaron Yagfeld at, from Generac was at one of our events and was talking about um, the, the number of different scheduling, you know, plans, you know, work, work week plans that people were on. It's like 14 or, yep. you know, something crazy. It wasn't, you know, it's, it's no longer just seven to three and you're out, you know, everyone's kind of got nuanced pieces. How does that play in, especially, Maybe I don't know if you guys have it have an opportunity to be more flexible given that yeah. you're the world what the, the need you're filling or, yeah. or how you play that. Yeah, so Generac's a, a, a great company, good customer, and they, you know, they've got a lot of good things that are going on. And I would tell you that they do a really nice job of testing things as well. You know, many times we approach things from what works for us. So right on the manufacturing side, we need the shifts to be this, this, and this because of production schedules with inventory, a variety of things. 
But, you know, first, second, third shift, you know, sometimes people have a weekend shift, 12 on, whatever that is, we do because that's what works for us, meaning the engineering side, the operations side. And again, I'm not suggesting this is easy, but if the people side of your equation is actually causing you to not hit your numbers, I always go, well, what if we started from the labor standpoint and said, what is the best scheduling that we can do for our people? Uh, one customer we're working with, we did some, some focus groups with them and found out, like, don't give them a long paid lunch. They want to be there eight hours and get out, pay them for 20 minutes for lunch, give them two, I think it was 10 or 15, whatever it was. And they actually figured out that instead of overlapping and making it like an eight hour and 45 minute day, they're like, just make it eight hours, pay them for the extra half an hour between lunches and breaks. It was way better, but they started with, in this case, the employee or the candidate and say, what's best for them. And can we work our engineering, so to speak, our operations around them. And if it works for them, we win. And so I think, you know, the best companies right now are starting with the candidate, the customer, whoever that is, so to speak. But I think if, you know, the best companies in the world right now, they start with the customer. They don't start with, here's what we want to sell them. They start with the customer journey. And we adopt that to the candidate journey. What's best for them? If you do what's best for them, you're going to have the best product. That makes a lot of sense. Um, anything else? Any other strategies you'd point to um, that a company should think about? Yeah, I, I, probably not. Again, I think you said it. There are no silver bullets in this space. But I think this philosophy of um, being really curious what's going on both internally and what's going on externally. You know, I'd love to tell you that um, things are going to have this big, massive change where we don't have to worry about it. But if you, if you really think about it, we also have a pretty cool opportunity to do better things with our people. And in return, I, I do believe that everyone wins if we can create a culture of engagement. You know, maybe the last thing that I would say on this kind of inward focus, as we're talking about being supervisors or operations managers or CFOs, um, ask yourself the question, would you want your, your kid if he's in high school or chose to go into that field in manufacturing, would, would you say, yeah, I would, I would ask him or her to work at my company doing the work on the floor. Like, would you have your kid do that? Mm -hmm. And if not, why not? Um, and again, I've heard people like, well, they're going to be going to college. I'm like, no, that's, I'm, I'm suggesting it's a summer job. It's a, a workforce they chose to go into or that they ended up in whatever that is. But, would you have your best friend, your kid, your brother, your mom or your dad work at that company on the floor, paying what you pay, the shifts that you would pay, all those things? Um, and if the answer is no, why? Certainly, yeah. Um, one last one and we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, and it's more a QPS question. Uh, you guys just had a big transition a few weeks ago. Um, Employee-owned company now. Um, yeah. So how's that going? We're only two weeks in. Obviously, they uh, nothing, no major changes. Doesn't sound like, but how's how's uh, how's ownership treating you? <laughs> yeah, it's fun <laughs> to be an employee owner. It's awesome. I mean, this has been something that's been in the works with Dan and Scott, the owners, for for quite some time. Uh, you know, I was pretty lucky to be able to be a part of it, and Keith, Keith, uh, our CFO, definitely drove it with with Dan, one of the other owners. But it has been it's been a blast. You know, we've got um, employee owners all over the place. 
Uh, I was at, at lunch the other day and a guy walked up to one of the other employee owners and said, he told the person at the other end, we own a company together. And the guy was like, that's awesome. And they were literally like, we own the company. So it's been cool. In fact, you know, we met with some of the, the folks from Steinhoffels, you know, another big company that went ESOP locally, two big companies in Wisconsin, great companies, but it's been awesome. You know, there's a, there's just a huge buzz within the 350 internal employees that are at QPS. And I couldn't be more excited for the future uh, being an employee owned company. Sounds good. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time, sharing some insights. Hopefully some of our listeners will, uh, will take a few of the nuggets away and apply them in their own businesses and, and uh, make, you know, those, those small improvements uh, that, that over time can add up to, to big changes in their labor um, and their workforce. So thanks very much for the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.